0: Welcome, everybody, to the Lockdown Lakers Podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin. I am joined by you guys. It has been a while. I have meant to put together... A mailbag show. It's just the last few weeks. Well, for one thing, the number of questions have kind of gone down, uh, which is understandable given the fact that there is very little to ask about right now. Uh, There were also, you know, a a couple holidays or or special days, uh, which is why we didn't record shows on Sunday. And then last weekend, we didn't want—I didn't want to do a show uh, given everything that was going on societally. So. Now that we are, you know, apparently heading back into the potential resuming of the uh, NBA, I will start getting back to our normal schedule. So, uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and, and pick up the first question that I'm seeing here. This is from Saul the Kid. Anthony, you are a professional podcaster. On the solo episode, you said, you know, 30 times in the first segment alone. Gotta be better than that. You know what? Anyway, in a hypothetical world, how would a team where a rookie Kobe Bryant, right out of high school, was drafted by the Bulls in 1992 work out? Would being on the same team uh, on would being on the same team with Jordan help or hurt? Um, Pete and I kind of talked about this a little bit. I I think. I actually think if he would have found a way, if Kobe might have been able to find a way to play on the same team as Magic Johnson, that would be more beneficial to Kobe than playing on the same team as Michael Jordan. I kind of feel like Jordan would have highlighted some of the wrong character traits that Kobe already had. And there's a great chance that that Kobe and Jordan butt heads there. I, I think you know a partnership of a year or so maybe two would have been okay but if kobe was expected to be second fiddle to jordan for a significant amount of time especially given the way that jordan you know just by way of of the way he dominated the news and the way that people talk about jordan nowadays i don't think jordan or kobe would have been okay being second fiddle to to Jordan, given how far behind everybody else was to Jordan in that organization. So I, I think that would have been really frustrating to Kobe and you know while while there's a great chance obviously that Kobe, you know gets better individually, uh, and I'm sorry i'm'm I'm, I'm I'm doing the you know thing on purpose here. but while, While Kobe could very easily have gotten better individually, uh, there's also a good chance that Kobe would not have been as good because Jordan would have played the same position as Kobe and Kobe would have been asked to do different things that maybe make him a lesser player overall. I actually think pairing with Shaq and being paired with Shaq, especially in the triangle offense, allowed Kobe to... Uh, develop skills especially as a facilitator that you know, playing on a uh, on a team with you know Jordan would not have allowed him to, to be so I there's a there's a there's a universe where it really works out and Kobe and Jordan go out and win any number of championships together but I think it's a lot more likely that Kobe gets frustrated with the way that he would be perceived being on a team with Jordan. And then the other thing to keep in mind here that there might be a counter to everything I'm talking about, the main reason Kobe bashed heads with Shaq was Shaq's work ethic. I think Shaq or Kobe looked at Shaq and said, dude, if you would just stay in shape, we would be just even more dominant than we already are. And, you know, I think Kobe really, dislikes players who have astronomical talent levels but don't go out there and actually work to fulfill the absolute ceiling level of of what their talent would have been able to let them do. And and we saw that with Dwight and how Kobe and Dwight bumped heads. And I, I think, you know, with Jordan, you could never accuse Jordan of not being a hard worker. And I think in that respect, the union between Kobe and Jordan might have been a little bit more natural than uh, Kobe and Shaq's off the court. But on the court, seeing as they played the same position and Kobe wanted to play very much like Michael, you can't have two Michaels on the court at the same time. So unless Kobe would have been willing to play the Pippen role, which I think he would have been overqualified for, I just don't see it really working there between Kobe and Jordan. Let's uh, take a quick second here, pay a couple bills, and when we come back, we are going to continue ask- answering your questions. Today's show is brought to you in part by Built Bar. Head on over to builtbar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, save $10 off your first order. Uh, I told the stories last week of how we or I, I left my wallet and then the car seat base in Jen's car, so I was kind of stuck here at the house, and we didn't do enough grocery shopping. Well... We didn't do the grocery shopping this weekend either, so that means I'm I'm <laughs> going to be enjoying a, a couple built bars for breakfast over the next couple days until I I get to go to the grocery store and, and refill our stock. But it's not something that you know under normal circumstances. The idea of hey I got to eat uh, power bars or built bars or whatever or not built bars but uh, Cliff bars. Uh, if I had to eat, you know, your Tiger milk bars to uh, sustain myself I, over any number of days, I would have gone insane and probably ordered some fast food. But pill bars taste good enough to where I am not worried at all about it. And if anything, it's probably going to become my habit moving forward. So head on over to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, save $10 off that first order, and then spread the word. So that's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON, to save $10 off your first order. And I'm telling you, you are never going to eat another protein bar ever again. All right, next question here comes from Breezy 12 uh, I love watching Laker and Knicks home games because of the contract of, contrast of illuminated court and dark audience settings. What are your favorite sport venues to watch a game, either in person or television? We've answered this before. Basketball is basketball. I, I think we're reaching the point where these arenas all look enough alike that it doesn't really matter. So it's more about the matchup than it is about the arena. So anytime I can see the Lakers and Celtics play against each other or, you know, see the Lakers go up against one of the, the league's really special players. That's that's something I'll go out of my way for. But uh, I'm more interested in, in baseball fields than I am football stadiums or uh, basketball arenas. Let's go to the next question here. L.A. 1056 Everyone on the team was dealing with bumps and bruises. I wonder how much time off can help them uh, heal from that. LeBron's groin and back, AD's shoulder, knee, and ankle. Coos has been playing catch-up all season with that stress reaction, and Green had hip soreness. I think AD's shoulder and LeBron's groin were the most mysterious of the injuries, and I wonder if time off would be sus- sufficient in healing those injuries. I think there's, there's a great chance of that. I don't see why it's not like they've been you know there's nothing to really make me nervous about what they are or are not able to do physically when they get back i think my concern is more rhythmic across the roster i will also say though these guys didn't have access to team doctors while this hiatus was going on and maybe not even to their own doctors because or you know to their own you know, they, they, they had access to, to typical doctors that they might go out and see, but they might not have access to physical therapists or trainers the way that they would normally. And I think that is is one reason to be a little concerned still about what type of shape that they're going to be in whenever they come back. I The one nice thing, though, is that you know Now they have access to those trainers again, and from now, I'm recording this June 7th to July 31st, there's plenty of time to be 100% healthy by the time the season rolls around, so long as nothing stupid happens in practice, which, knock on wood. Uh, let's go to the next question. Assess the Threat writes, hi Anthony and or Pete, how long of a team do you think, Someone needs to be a fan of before they are locked in to being that team's fan. I've been a fan of a particular team for about a year now, but after the way they handled the offseason, I'm really thinking about jumping ship before I'm too far in and locked in with that team. Not the Lakers. This is a football team, purple and gold for life. Uh, I take a lot of pride in not being non bandwagon and I would feel extremely hypocritical if I was to switch to another team. But at the same time, I'm very new to football, and it's only been a year, so what do you think? Uh, is it socially acceptable for me to like a new team now, or am I already in it for the long run? That's interesting. I, personally, I all the sports that I follow, I have... I've been following that sport for a really long time, so I I've never you know tried to get into a new sport and and you know try to pick up on a new team. The closest thing to that might be hockey, but but there I just don't care enough about the sport to you know really be a diehard Ducks fan or a diehard Kings fan. Uh, when I go to a Ducks game with my friends. I like to root for the Ducks because it's usually a home game and it's a fun atmosphere. But when the Kings were in the Stanley Cup a few years back, I just ate up every second of that. That was a lot of fun as well. So uh, I I would probably... I can't really judge in terms of it's a brand new sport and and you want to jump ship again. I, it, it depends on what kind of fan you're going to be, really, because... If you're going to dive headfirst into being a fan of whatever football team it is that we're talking about here, you it's, it's tough to do that a repeated number of times. So personally, it also depends on the reasons for liking that team, right? So... I grew up liking the Vikings because I thought purple and gold like I thought they were some distant cousin of the Lakers, which they kind of sort of are. And I was a huge fan of Randy Moss and and that connection between him and Dante Culpepper was just special special. That team that had Robert Smith on it as well. Uh, and and you know, that was just a, that was a great team. I fell head over heels for for that team and the organization and regret it deeply regret (laughs) I am (laughs) I kick myself all the time for that fandom and why I stuck with it but you know this last year I was thinking about jumping ship because my wife is a Saints fan and my brother and sister-in-law are Saints fans so we all kind of agreed hey let's all root for the football team let's try to do that and so far I've found it very difficult to do that now it didn't help that Drew Brees went out and showed his ass for everybody, and yes, he's kind of made up for it. I'm still a little nervous about what that means moving forward. Uh, he still has to back all of his words up with actual action. Uh, but, but yeah, I. it's hard for me to just turn off that fandom because I've been a Vikings fan now for upwards of a decade, a decade and a half, and you, I, I feel like at some point they're going to win a, a, a Super Bowl maybe, and if they do that after I jump ship, I will feel like the world's biggest butthead, so I, I'm going to go ahead and, and probably stick it out here with the Vikings moving forward. Uh, but but you know if you're if you're a brand new fan and say it's like the Chargers or something like that or the Rams because they came back to L. A and you were disappointed with the way those off-seasons go or you learn more about the way that the, the Chargers kind of operate, I wouldn't hold it against you or the Raiders too. I wouldn't hold it against you for, for jumping ship and, and looking for a team that is more worthy of your time and, and energy because true fandom is, is a legitimate commitment and you want to make sure you're committed to the right team if you're giving yourself, if you're giving yourself the freedom to, to choose your team. Let's go... uh, Actually, you know what? Let's take another quick second here. And when we come back, we are going to finish off with a few more questions. All right. The next question here comes from Shady uh, Soleil, and I already hopped on a call with him to answer uh, this specifically with him, but I'm going to go ahead and answer this because it's a it's a very pertinent question to what we are going to be talking about moving forward. Uh, hey, Anthony, I needed an MBA source for a school project and was wondering if you could answer my question in the mailbag or in an interview. I did the interview. I uh, hope that you got a passing grade despite <laughs> me being bad at my job. The question is, what are the immediate and long-term ramifications of the suspended NBA season? It's a broad question, but it could be in regards to players getting injured due to rushing back without enough games to get acclimated or setting up a template for the way future pandemics or other disasters are handled by the NBA. I've already talked about you know, what it might look like for players coming back, so I'm just going to go ahead and skip ahead to kind of a broader view of what this might mean. We're already kind of seeing it. We're seeing that this season is going to extend into a time frame that the NBA doesn't usually play games in. Uh, They are thinking about resuming games next year with, you know, around Christmas or so, uh, if not earlier, and you know what does that mean for when that season's going to end and the following year might kick back up? So in that respect, it's it's there's no way to get around change. But I also kind of wonder, I'm really interested to see how these games are packaged and if there's any way to carry over some of what we see in the production value from these games, compared to moving forward or, or the traditional look of an NBA game. And I was just watching the fights over the weekend. Amanda Nunes is just insane. Uh, she might be one of the most intimidating fighters I have ever seen. But we were watching that fight and the other fights leading up to it, and there were a se- you know, several occasions where the camera was right up against the fence to the point where you could hear – the panting and the struggling that, you know, that was going on whenever the fighters would hit the ground or you could hear the contact anytime, you know, great a great punch or kick was thrown. And it was so interesting. I never found myself missing the fans. Now, it's not a sport that I care particularly too much for. So maybe that might be it that I was I, – I didn't really notice the fans because I don't – Really go out of my way to think about UFC fans very often, but I, I I found the experience of watching this without fans really interesting. You could hear the coaching from each team's corner. You could see you you could in some cases. I know a couple fighters have said that the analysis from ringside. They could hear it and they made adjustments on the fly to it. The, the, everything involved was just it was, was really interesting to me, and I kind of wonder what MMA fights are going to look like moving forward. Are they going to go back to how they were before? Or are they going to do more to get you some more of those angles, given how much money is made in, in pay-per-view? Why not offer some better angles, you know, maybe set up a GoPro, uh, on, on some of the stanchions or something like that, that that gives you a closer view that we were able to enjoy these last few events when, when no fans were there. Normally, if, if you had a camera person holding a camera right up against the fence, they're blocking some of the most expensive seats in sports. So that's not something that, that's going to happen. But is there a way to, to bring that experience or make that experience something we can – Build off of moving forward, and I, I, you know, just to extend that over to the NBA, I would love to get some angles, you know, a few more angles of, of courtside, so you could really see how big these guys are next to the basket compared to what we look like when we play a game. I would love it. They're talking about uh, piping in crowd noise. I would, I, you know, person, I understand why they would do it because. They don't want <laughs> to pick up on all the cussing and stuff out there, but come on, it's 2020. Much worse things happen in our lifetime than hearing the occasional F bomb. Uh so I would I would I'm interested to see what that looks like. And and then also with the way that the games are called. Uh, you know, I I, I kind of feel like, you know, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson. Uh, those those kind con- those lame kind of podcasty conversations that happen as the game is still going on, I think they're going to be less likely to do that when the players can hear them saying whatever it is they're saying. Uh, if if that is the way that they're going to continue to do that, and if they don't do it that way, and you have these guys calling the game from a different spot, which is what you've seen uh, in in other sports, but if you see these guys calling the game remotely. That almost never works out well. There's almost no way to make that feel natural, and I, I think that might hurt the product to the point where, you know, are we going to – does that mean – does that give more people freedom to – I know I'm I'm partnered with Hot Mike, right? So if I – If I say, hey, I'm going to call this game, let's all watch this game together, are more people going to jump ship from ESPN's calling of the game to watching the game alongside the people that they like hearing uh, on a a regular basis talk about the sport anyway? So what's that going to mean for the market? All of this stuff – and and you know when in regards to pandemics i'm sure that they're going to set up some kind of a rainy day fund so that they don't have to extend their credit line the way that they've had to over this stretch uh they they you know you might get some more contract negotiations where teams might say hey let's lower the games from 70 to 60 so that we don't have to come back and play some otherwise unnecessary games just to come closer to fulfilling the contract requirements uh, that that RSNs demand of us. So I, I think overall, all in all, not only is it that this is going to force change, but I also think the NBA is going to be more open to change than, than other sports might be. And, and I'm actually really excited about what – the way that they produce these games and, and offer up these games to fans, what that's going to mean moving forward. Let's go a couple more questions here. Uh, T Kawhi writes, I totally agree that the public slash fans usually side with owners, uh, which I can't stand What's your take on player's salary and the whole salary cap. For example, all the criticism dak the cowboys qb is getting about his next projected contract or when kobe got his huge extension and how the critics said it hurt the team to sign other players i'd appreciate to hear what your thoughts are thanks to Mao. i hope i'm saying your name right uh, i i do yeah so in general i think we're we're seeing the the a shift in Response to owners, especially in baseball, because the owners have just so thoroughly made fools of themselves throughout this entire process that I, I see, I notice a lot more fans siding with players than I normally would. Uh, I, I, in terms of contracts and and salary caps, so one of the all time misnomers in all of sports. Is that or misunderstandings in all of sports? Is that salary caps exist for parity's sake? They do not. They do not. Uh, they they exist so that the owners have some protection from going out and spending way too much money on players that might not deserve it. I, I this is where you know I, I I start to sound a little bit more economically conservative, but. Let's say – so the the conversation right now is, well, without salary caps, what's stopping the Lakers from signing LeBron and Giannis and Steph and -and so-and-so to whatever contracts it takes and turning into the Yankees of basketball? Well, for one thing – NBA players are going to cost a lot more than basketball than baseball players. Like baseball players contracts are already bloated and that's in, a, in an otherwise dying sport. In basketball, LeBron could very easily make 100 million dollars a year and be worth every penny of it. Uh, Steph could be paid that amount of money and be worth every penny of it. But if you have LeBron and Steph and Giannis and all these guys I don't think that you know. At, at some point you're going to run into uh, <laughs> a situation where that is not fiscally responsible. That's not financially the, the smart thing to do. And th- Eventually, the amount of money that those guys would generate or revenue that those guys would generate would plateau because there's only so much money that those guys could generate. And when that plateaus – and the amount of money that you're spending on salary just shoots through that that plateau, that the the spot wherever it plateaus, then it the owner would have a problem with potentially taking a loss there. And I I, I really think that if the NBA was to scrap the salary cap, all in all, yes, there's a chance that like the Knicks would sign LeBron for 150 million dollars a year but I don't think they would have enough money to sign anybody else of, of meaning around LeBron and that team would suffer. And you know, when, when you hear all these owners complaining about how, Oh, we're going broke for this reason and we can't afford to pay for our own buildings and this and that and the other, I just roll my eyes every time because it's all (laughs) bull. They're lying. They're, They're just outright lying about how tough they have it as owners of these franchises That year in, year out, uh, their evaluations continue to go up, and all the while, there's a whole bunch of owners just waiting in line to be able to buy whatever team becomes available next. So, get rid of salary caps, in my opinion. Let athletes make whatever it is the market decides they should make, and now, I will say that there's a great chance in in that scenario where you have where you see like the lebrons of the world make 150 million dollars and then your average player gets paid under market value because all of the money is going to the superstars. So in that sense I think you would have to figure out some kind of a structure so that mid-tier or you know average and and some below average players still get paid a decent rate but I, I really think all of sports would be better off without salary caps. That's probably my hottest take. That's going to do it, though, for this episode of the Locked On Lakers podcast. There's still a couple questions here, and I'm sure I'll, I'll run those by Pete uh, whenever we have the chance to. Uh, but for now, have a great rest of your day. Check out builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on to save $10 off your first order. And uh, stay safe out there. Make somebody else's day. I'm completely flubbing the rest of this podcast, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.